Welcome to the Small Staff Big Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Berniski. I'm here with Edward Grandy from the National Genealogical Society. Welcome, Ed. Thank you, Justin. Happy to be here. So we're here today. I uh, wanted to talk to you about your work with associations, uh, working with NGS. You recently started up there. And so I was curious, how do you approach leadership when you enter into a new role? How do you kind of handle the change management aspects? Well, Justin, I'm a firm believer in managing, not micromanaging. Um, I have, I'm fortunate to have a very competent staff at NGS uh, who are well-trained. Most of them have been there a very long time, so they're well aware of what they need to do. So I've got a high confidence in them. My management style is really more part cheerleader, part resource, and part advocate. And certainly when I came on, uh, a big concern of the staff was having somebody who would be sort of a go-between between them and the board of directors. I think probably uh, in my case and with NGS is that there uh, is that there's a board culture that's developed over the course of the past 10 years that uh, really has them extremely engaged in day-to-day activity. So part of what I need to do is to bring, kind of ease them back. So it seems to me that the successful skills set necessary are tact, diplomacy, and patience. That makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of people, uh, boards are can be a great asset, and they can also be um, a, uh, I'm trying to think of the politically correct way to say. Uh, less of an asset. Less of an asset. Fair yeah. enough, yeah. So one thing, I mean, with associations, you've got members, and I think associations are always trying to identify opportunities to provide value against the resources you have available. You know, you're a small staff, you can't necessarily provide every uh, value proposition for members that is out there. So how do you weigh what is most important and balance those uh, staff size issues or limitations against the member needs? Well, you know, the core mission of the National Genealogical Society's education. And we don't need to have educators on staff. There are a lot of people who are very, very capable in providing educational content, whether it be um, courses for our online course programs, uh, which we host through Canvas, um, our publications. We have a a quarterly journal, uh, and we have a, a quarterly magazine which is less, a bit less scholarly. So we have writers for those that are independent. We're, I think we're very fortunate by having um, staff in the key roles, so editor positions, people who are going to be editing and proofreading uh, content for our educational courses, uh, content for our website. So I think what's really amazing for a small staff is where technology is now and our capability of being able to leverage technology to be able to accomplish the things that we need. Of course, it's important too to try to meet uh, our members' needs. So we, we, we don't do enough of it, but I think we should do more polling and surveying of our members to see what sorts of things that they 
are interested in. We're lucky also we have a conference every year, and it's amazing. I went to my first conference last year, or earlier this year, and to see a small group uh, manage the way that they did manage was amazing. Um, so I think the it's I think balancing staff size is not a problem for us. But my my suspicion is is as we do more, it's possible that we're going to need to actually bring more people into the organization and have them be dedicated staff as opposed to being independent contractors. Yeah, that's, I, th I think that's an interesting balance a lot of organizations face of do you dedicate a full-time resource versus having those, you know, the one-off uh, and, you know, what's the value there? You know, if you have a contractor, to some extent, once their work is done, you kind of lose the, the learning experience, obviously, whereas if you have a staff person, they learn, they grow, and then they yes. it's sort of a return on investment there with staff. It can be, though I think you know, we're again, we're fortunate in, in that a lot of the contractors that we have are contractors that are working on a long-term basis. So they're really, so in a way, they're growing. And we're providing them with some flexibility as well. So it's not a question of them just working, needing to do everything for us. You know, with a quarterly magazine, you know, it's not, you're not working from quarter to quarter to get to, you're maybe working a month or two months ahead to get to the magazine, but the rest of the time is your time to do what you want. And the fact is, is that a lot of the people who are connected with NGS are also professional genealogists. So they're involved in, in doing work for clients themselves. So I think, I, in, in, I agree with you that when you have a contractor, they kind of come, they do what they need to do, and then they go, and maybe you get them back, maybe you don't. Here, it seems that we've got kind of long-term, we've got these little have developed long-term relationships with people and so it seems to work for everybody now <laughs> whether that lasts forever i don't know but we'll we'll right now it looks it's good so i'm happy that's good it sounds like you're kind of have the best of both worlds yes uh so i think one thing with associations is uh, traditionally they've relied a lot on membership fees in order to sustain them financially but i think we're seeing more and more associations recognizing that there are opportunities uh, for income, for revenue, other than membership fees, and then also even outside their membership base. And I know NGS has been driving a little bit of uh, revenue from other places. How have you managed that, and what, is, what has been kind of the impact on your approach to serving members versus uh, generating revenue from these other sources? Well, I think uh, we... The, the, our members are people who we have, many of whom we've had very long-term relationships with. So they're, they're first and foremost in terms of making sure that their needs are met um, and any uh, evolution or expansion or changes in what we do are consistent with their interests. But at the same time, you know, the, the world of genealogy is exploding in the sense that there are more and more people that are interested in it. So we have people out there who are not members and who are interested in kind of getting their feet wet. So the object, as far as I'm concerned, is we want to encourage them to become members. But until they're ready to become members, we want to be able to have offerings for them, um, certainly introductory type uh, 
programs that that show them how what what NGS is as a you know we're not ancestry we're not find my past we're not a records company we're an education organization and our job is to facilitate uh, people's education and genealogical research make them better genealogists by learning what the tool how to use the tools that are out there for them so we're constantly looking at opportunities to attract people um, our, our educational conference every year while there's a substantial number of people who attend the conference are members there are also people who aren't members you know for you know we move the conference around the country in order to be able to attract uh, people from different regions of the country in fact this uh, in 2016, our conference will be in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which will be the first time that we've ever been that far south. And so um, it'll be interesting to see how what what population we attract. I know there's a lot of interest in genealogy in Florida, so it's very possible that we'll draw people and they may become interested in becoming members of of NGS. So we'll you know we'll. We'll get the we'll capture the revenue from them attending, as well as them becoming members of the of the society. That's I, I think that's really smart in that your prospects. A lot of times people think they're sinking money into prospects in the hopes that they eventually get revenue out of them. But you're actually able to leverage that prospect and generate revenue and to, and then to convert them into a member. So it's sort of a you've got value the whole way along. Right, right. and again, we also also the case with our educational, our online educational offerings as well. We have a number of courses, some of which are elementary, sort of very beginner status, some that are intermediary, intermediate, and some that are more advanced. Again, you, you bring them in on the beginner and then you kind of move them along and then they begin to see the value of what, of what the what our offerings are and you know they see the magazine they see the quarterly it's it's again it's a I'm I'm fairly confident that people coming in people who are experienced NGS one way or another will eventually become members of NGS if they're interested in in following through on genealogy absolutely there's in I've noticed a trend in reality television and in TV in general, there seem to be more of these shows focused around people's genealogy, their their ancestry. I, I feel like anyone watching those shows is a p potential prospect for your organization. How are you, has that impacted business in any way? And have you been able to leverage that? Well, we I don't know that we have done as much with that as we can. Um, certainly the graying of the population is the baby boomers are as they get older and now they begin to retire. Um, you know, genealogy is the third most popular hobby after gardening. I don't know what the second one is, but I know gardening is the first one. So there are a lot of people who have time and who are interested in learning about their past. And and of course, you know, you see companies like Ancestry who are extremely successful because they are capitalizing on making those making records available for people to use to search of course you search these records and not don't know quite what to do with them that's when, where we come in so I think we're I, I have not seen 
that we're doing the best that we can. So I see that as an area of improvement, something, an area that I'm and particularly interested in an area that we could do more in terms of leveraging. Um, one certainly a consideration would be creating um, microsites such after a show is broadcast so that we would be able to expand or you know take people a little bit further along in terms of what what they what they saw on television previously. So I, I think there's it's definitely an opportunity for us and one that we're not really doing as much with as we could right now. All right. Well, it's always good to at least know you've got the opportunity. And <laughs> yes. that's half the, half the challenge, right? Yes, absolutely. So I did want, are there any tech challenges that you've recently tackled that uh, you felt really good about or any tech challenges that you're looking to tackle in the near future that you'd like to share? I'm always curious to kind of hear what people are thinking about. Technology is obviously becoming more and more valuable and you've, you've kind of hinted at it, but I, I'd be curious to if you dive in a little bit more on any specific well, tech. You know, I think uh, what we what we've done recently at our conference, and which has been hugely successful, is is incorporating an app. And the the you know, there's so many people who are now using tablets or smartphones as um, as their as their principal uh, technology device, and so we're by having an app available for our conference, people can have everything that they need right there in front of them, and we can actually sort of communicate with them. I think we could probably do we could probably do a little bit more, and again, I think part of that has to do with um, the staff kind of growing into what what the technology how the technology can help leverage how we can leverage the relationship or, or develop the communications. The other area that I think is important is um, is responsive design. I mean, I think, you know, and again, this goes back to the fact that more and more people are using tablets or smartphones to access the internet. And you know, if we're, if your website isn't responsive, that is to say, if you haven't got it so that doesn't matter where people are coming to you from, you really you, you run the risk of losing the possibility of connecting with them. Um, I, I think also an area where we could be doing where we could do more, and I and uh, again it's kind of on my list of things to do, is using social media. You know we're we're very fortunate uh, to have a robust presence on Facebook. Um, we have a, a blogger. Who does a tremendous job in terms of putting out there, putting curated content out there? Not only is the blog there, but that content goes to Facebook as well as to Twitter. So we're really kind of covering the waterfront, and I th and again, being trying to do as much with that as you possibly can, in terms of being able to create a dialogue and create a relationship with people out there, meet them where they are, so they're not necessarily having to meet you. Where you are, and I, so it, it, the technology. I think the technology is evolving, and will in, probably make it easier going forward. Yeah, I think you know you've got this sort of interesting challenge of you need to adapt to the hardware that people are using, right. and the phones, and the tablets, but also where they're they're where they're getting it, the social media sites. So, yeah. I know personally, anytime uh, I have someone who uh, 
uh, is a little bit older, not as comfortable with technology, I always give them, I always encourage them to get an, an iPad or a tablet because that, that is, for me, I feel like the easiest way to enter into technology. Uh, I know my grandmother at one point had a laptop <laughs> that she sunk hundreds of dollars into support to try and get fixed. And I was like, let's just get you a tablet. And she loves it. She carries it with her everywhere. And so yeah. I think that's definitely... Well, it, it's amazing at the conference uh, seeing a lot of older people, um, all of them just, you know, whizzing around with their, whizzing around with their tablets, their iPads, moving, you know, and very adept at using them in terms of being able to uh, capture information and, uh, and navigate uh, our navigate our app as well as navigating the internet so it's I think I agree with you it, I think that the idea of somebody owning a laptop is you know that's probably that might be important for some people but I think generally and particularly in the in the genealogy space I think that a tablet is going to be much more valuable absolutely well, Ed, thank you very much for coming on today. We appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Justin. I'm happy to be here. And, and really, um, your, your broadcast is, your podcasts are great. I love them, and, I'm, and I, I, I look forward to hearing them. Not the one necessarily with me, but the other ones as well. Absolutely. Thanks again to our guest, Edward Grandy, for joining us today. Uh, he comes from the National Genealogical Society. So if you want more on his organization, make sure to check out ngsgenealogy.org. Or follow them on Twitter at NGS Genealogy. For more great content on small staff organizations and associations, make sure to check out our microstaff.org blog. And as always, make sure you're following the podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast listening service you'd prefer. Until next time, thank you.